Hello everybody and welcome back to Blockchain Won't Save the World on tour. Today we visit Switzerland, also known to many as Crypto Valley, a nation that's leading the world on digital assets, DeFi and cryptocurrencies. There's also blossoming enterprise startup and NGO communities for us to take inspiration from and also the unusual story of the world's first digital currency and stablecoin, launched in Switzerland in 1934. They say when the Swiss launch a product, they take their time and do it properly. No corners were cut in the making of this episode, and we've got 16 of Switzerland's blockchain elite to share their insights into what made Switzerland one of the most sought after places to locate and launch a blockchain business worldwide. We start with a brief history of blockchain in Switzerland, introduced by Roland Cortivo, Chief Revenue Officer at Swisscom Blockchain, Fabian Scher, Professor for Distributed Ledger Technology and Fintech at the University of Basel, Lucas Betschert, President of the Bitcoin Association Switzerland, and Ralph Glabishnik, founder of CVVC. I think what Switzerland is good at is actually with the laws and the regulations. So quite early, we saw PINMA, so the Swiss financial regulator, giving guidance about uh, the token types in Switzerland. This was even uh, topped now last year that Switzerland um, give a green light for this uh, DLT bill. So it's really adapting existing laws on one hand to allow innovative DLT trading facilities. That's one part. And the other one is to really have uh, or to be able to uh, issue ledger-based securities. I think that's really a major milestone uh, worldwide and also in Europe. That's really pushing Switzerland uh, forward and also putting it on the map. I mean, Switzerland uh, for a long time has been called crypto nation. I think it's uh, one of the, I would say, the top five nations that really are fostering these new technologies worldwide. I think one of the milestones definitely was the banking license for a few of the Swiss financial intermediaries that are into digital assets or crypto assets more broadly. I think that was super important. And from a regulatory point of view, I mean, there has been a lot going on lately with Switzerland with the new legislation that passed through the parliament. And of course, when you go a little more back, the thing that started it all, I think, in Switzerland, where we really became something that is referred to as crypto nation or crypto valley, is when Ethereum got founded here in Switzerland in the, in the city of Souk, uh, when actually the, the founding members of the Ethereum blockchain gathered up in Souk. They rented a house there and then have been working on the development of the Ethereum blockchain. In Switzerland, we were a little bit lucky because we had the Bitcoin meetups already very early on with some prominent Bitcoin developers that used to live around Zurich. You might know Jonas Schnelli, Bitcoin core developer, Christian Decker, who's a Lightning developer, Peter Wulli used to live in Zurich, Mike Hearn. So thanks to the ETH Zurich, the university, and also Google being Zurich, we always had a quite a big active community of contributors and people coming to Bitcoin meetups. So if you look at the number of people living in Switzerland, it's for sure was one of the biggest Bitcoin community in the world and still is one of the biggest Bitcoin community in the world. So that helped bootstrapping it. We had up to 1,000 people attending our biggest event with Andreas Antonopoulos speaking. So this really creates a momentum within the ecosystem. And that also then after some time, not just the, the tech guys came to the Bitcoin meetups, but more and more, let's say, 
traditional people, also more finance people got interested in the field. We don't really need Bitcoin as much as in other countries because we have a stable currency. Everybody has at least one bank account. Everybody has several credit cards. The Swiss franc is still a fiat currency, but it's pretty good. But then again, most Swiss people have enough cash to try it out, to invest a little bit. And with that, then also generate the interest of the banks. And uh, we had some smaller banks some private banks jumped on it quite early, but also even some like really big banks like Fontobel, who already started offering Bitcoin products in 2016, I think. The first companies in Switzerland really incorporated in the blockchain space have been Bitcoin Swiss and also Bitty. And then we had also the Ethereum Foundation in 2013 coming to Switzerland. We had NME, a law firm, which created the foundation model for the blockchain protocols. And we had other protocols following, like the Tezos Foundation, Cardano Foundation, and those protocols are all with us today in the Crypto Valley Labs here in Zoo. And then in 2014, we probably had around 20 to 30 companies in Switzerland. We have a website up and running called Crypto Valley Maps. And this website today has 960 companies in Switzerland with nearly 5,000 people working in the blockchain space. Blockchain wird die Welt nicht retten. So what makes Switzerland such a compelling place for the blockchain community? We get the lowdown from Paul Mewson, VP of Finance at Definity, Tatiana Meyer, IBM's Swiss blockchain leader, and Effie Pilarinu, the Swiss-based and highly respected fintech and blockchain thought leader. First of all, Switzerland has a very benign regulatory system, a government that understands how to work with such uh, innovative companies and, and new technology. Switzerland, by nature, has always been a country governed in a very decentralized way. So decentralization is very much in the DNA of this country. And that really you can feel when you start building a company here. And it's therefore no surprise that a decentralized new way of building computer platforms was very much something that resonates um, in a country where decentralization is very, very much in the way people think. Secondly, one often forgets Switzerland was one of the poorest countries in Europe some hundred years ago, and it has no natural resources, no access to sea or ports. So Switzerland over those years always had to be very innovative, whether it's fine medical equipment, measurement equipment, Watchmaking innovation has always been in the heart of the Swiss people. And lastly, sustainability. I think it's also very much in the nature of the Swiss way of thinking that when you build something, you want it to sustain over time, whether that's a well-functioning Swiss watch or the railways or whatever example you can think about. So a country where decentralization, innovation, and sustainability is really front, left, and center is not surprisingly a very good ground to, to build a companies that, that use blockchain and decentralized systems. And I think whether it's in Zug or Zurich, whether it's small or large companies, there's different ways that by which that has, has taken form. But I think these, these three things uh, I see often 
are amongst the reasons why companies or businesses, entrepreneurs have come to Switzerland to build their business? For me in Switzerland, um, a big thing was Libra 2019, Libra network being established. In Switzerland, what I feel is important for blockchain location, DLT location, is really as well the government involvement, uh, that they're quite pragmatic. The authorities that you find a lot of good soil for innovation in Switzerland, which sometimes I find astonishing because in other areas, uh, I think we are quite conservative. In 2016, already there were about 500 companies in the crypto valley, if you want. And I think it's important to reflect as to why this happened, because like with everything, you need a, a whole ecosystem and different factors to grow a hub like we have now here in Switzerland. There's two or three very important elements that led to this. One is the long-time tradition in data trust and privacy in Switzerland from other sectors. The second aspect is that this is a country that has legally, constitutionally recognized digital currencies long before Bitcoin or anything like that. Allow me to share with you an aspect that maybe is not appreciated so much outside of Switzerland. And, and like the Swiss are not very good at blowing their horn for me, this is a very important story. And it is the story of the launch of Veer Bank and the Veer stablecoin, if you want. So we are back in the 1930s in a recessionary environment. And in Switzerland, we have a community currency that is launched called the Veer, the W-I-R. And this is an abbreviation of the word Wirtschaftsspring, which means economic circle. This is basically electronic money. It's created by the Veer Bank. They actually set up a bank at that time. They got a license for that bank. And the purpose was to issue this community currency to help small businesses and lend them money. This was pegged one-to-one -to, -one to the Swiss franc, and its mission was to support trading activities of the members of the bank. This is 1934, and there are 16 members, businesses of the bank, and over time, it grew to 60,000, issuing this Veer community currency, a pure digital currency that was fully recognized and legal by the Swiss regulation and constitution. La blockchain ne sauvera pas le monde. You know that blockchain is all about the community and we give you some color around the Swiss blockchain community with your hosts Emmanuel Gann, an international trade expert at the WTO, Paul and Effie. You have a very vibrant and rich ecosystem. So you have many different players. 
you have startups and companies being very active. You have, I mentioned already, the Crypto Valley Association, which is very active on blockchain matters, of course. You have the regulators who are very active. You have also a number of programs that exist in universities to, to train people. And this is very, very important because you need the skills to develop that sector uh, further. And actually, the blockchain job market is booming. It's the most in-demand skill uh, in bidding all the popular technologies like artificial intelligence or cloud computing. And making sure that there are programs in academia and different uh, learning organizations to, to support this demand and position an economy, grab the opportunities that this technology opens to, to position the economy for the future is critical. You, of course, find people who have great enthusiasm, although their solution is still very early stage. But across the community, you find substance. And practically, uh, for example, you see that in, through a combination of people, I see firstly Interestingly, quite some experienced professionals, whether it's from banking, insurance, or pharma even, who've entered the blockchain community. And from the banking companies like Signum, Bitcoin Swiss, SEPA, different people have been able to attract professionals from banking who help building professional solutions for blockchain users, such as custody solutions. Secondly, you find a lot of very entrepreneurial um, you find youthful energy. And I think that also in part has to do with two enormously powerful academic cities, uh, Lausanne with the um, EPFL and its Zurich counterpart, ETH. In those two schools continue to be ranked amongst the top 20 or if not top 10 even worldwide. That has also increasingly been a very good ground from which young enterprises start. And lastly, I think, like this country is, it's a combination of local and global initiatives. So some of the members of the community and initiatives are very deeply uh, locally rooted. For example, one canton, the, the smaller canton of Schaffhausen, has already three years ago used blockchain technology to renew its e-government processes. And then you have global companies like ourselves, like B3i, that find this just a very fertile ground and also a place where you can find talent. It's not a bad place to live, so the, the, the standard of living is also one that, that um, allows you to attract talent quite easily. There's two sort of initiatives that, you know, I keep to my heart. One of them is the Crypto Explorers Initiative by Marcelo Garcias, that he had this mission and passion to bring people from all over the world that were already entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs within large organizations, but focused on innovation, and he would organize the crypto explorer trips in Switzerland. He would invite different participants from the ecosystem. Uh, again, he was inviting uh, legal experts, uh, inviting entrepreneurs, inviting innovators, and giving the opportunity to the guests to understand um, the ecosystem and interact and work and also at the same time, taking them to, to wonderful Swiss places. A lot of the people that I have met that are today, 
you know, important um, leaders in, in, uh, in the ventures that are growing, I met during the crypto explorers. And then there was the wonderful Crypto Mountain Rocks initiative that always happened in March in Davos, where we could ski. It was spring skiing, and the program was morning skiing. And then after two o'clock, we had sessions that were unconference sessions and, and socializing. And this was um, led and, and inspired by Reto Kadian. The Crypto Mountain Rocks event had this debate also at the end with a topic, you know, the classic um, Oxford style debate of uh, is decentralization the future and you had to be for or against and defend yourself and that people in the audience, if you were weak in your defenses, could come and, and help you with the arguments. That participation was also monumental. And all this, again, it's community building, it's sharing. Blockchain wird die Welt nicht retten. One notable feature of the Swiss blockchain community is the number of associations helping to advance knowledge, thinking, and regulation in the country. But why so many? And how have they managed to coexist in relative peace for such a long time? We hear from Ralph on behalf of the Swiss Blockchain Federation, Sheraz Ahmed at the Crypto Valley Association, and Lucas representing the Bitcoin Association of Switzerland. Let's start with the Bitcoin Association Switzerland. This is the oldest association we have. I think it's founded in 2014. And it was the time when you didn't talk about blockchain, when you talked about Bitcoin. We're supporting the Bitcoin Association in Switzerland. And it's mainly to educate people, to have meetups, to bring knowledge around. It's a little bit uh, focused on the Bitcoin space, but also open for other topics. Later on, we co-founded the Crypto Valley Association to promote Crypto Valley, so Zug especially, and whole Switzerland on an international level, and is open for members from all over the world. And the last thing we initiated is the Swiss Blockchain Federation, started with the Swiss Blockchain Task Force, and the main target is and was to get the legal framework right in Switzerland. It's situated in Bern, in the capital of Switzerland, and not here in Zug and not in Zurich. Directly there, close to the politics, a lobbying instrument for the blockchain industry. This is also supported by the cantons of Zug, of Zurich, and so on, to really get the things done and to have a close relationship in the politics. Uh, and I think these three associations, they make a lot of sense in each of the area, even they have some overlaps, I don't see a real competition between them. So the Crypto Valley Association has been around for a long time now, close to four years, and it really serves as a nonprofit organization in space. As you know, you know, Switzerland is rather neutral, non-biased. So it really serves as a community and ecosystem to foster growth within the space. So not only within Switzerland, a wider kind of Europe as well and, and worldwide, our community is split between, I would say, 50% now Swiss, 30% Europe, and then 20% the other hubs 
blockchain crypto hubs around around the world. We're just under 10,000 members of the community. So it's quite big now. It's, it's growing immensely and, and we really help through events, networking, education. A lot of people join the space, come together through the working group. So we have working groups within uh, the Crypto Valley Association. So we have an investor working group, a regulatory one, cybersecurity. Depending on what your niche interest is in the space, you can come together with experts and really create papers, discuss about important topics, etc. So we really see some great energy and initiatives coming out of Crypto Valley Association. And anyone is welcome to join. So it's very inclusive. In November 2013, we decided to found the Bitcoin Association Switzerland, which is a non-profit volunteer-run association for two reasons. One is to create regulatory clarity, and the other one is to have organization where we can fund and organize events where people can come and learn and network for building new companies, new ventures, new projects around Bitcoin. Uh, back then, it was also sometimes a journalist calling us, wanted to know why the Bitcoin price goes up or down. We don't know. So now they're calling the banks, which is better at the, the brokers and the exchanges. I would say the differentiation between the Bitcoin Association and many other blockchain association in Switzerland is that we are really a grassroots movement. So we don't have any employees. We always are strictly non-profit. That means we are also very careful whom we're working with. We are very careful when we're picking sponsors. We don't need sponsors for our event. It's a bonus for us. We do never want to compete with volunteers with the free market. So for example, we don't do beginner events for Bitcoin because their company is providing that. So we have a very restrictive focus that of the things we are actually doing. We're just providing a platform. We'd like to keep that as clean as possible. And then we also have a focus on Bitcoin. I mean, our statutes say support of virtual currencies. That's what the mission is. We still have a very strong focus on Bitcoin and we are very picky about every other project that we might give a stage to. The Bitcoin Association has always been a little bit more ideologically, I'd say, really on the ideas behind Bitcoin and not so much on, on the business side of things. Blockchain wird nicht die Welt retten. So let's get into some use cases. We hear about some of the best-known blockchain case studies from Effie, Mika Rune, CTO of the Energy Web Foundation, and a deeper dive on trade from Emmanuel. I mean, a lot of the companies that are providing technical infrastructure here in Switzerland are working on projects that are in the supply chain. Think uh, Nestlé, they are working on document management, on identity, EPFL in Lausanne, there's a, a center for digital trust. And there, there's a lot of collaborations between the industry and academia working on trust issues. This is the home of companies like WiseKey, just as a public company that is very much focused on IoT, if you want, and digital identity, but also using blockchain. There's so many universities here that have major involvement with the industry, the University of Basel, the University of Zurich, and working on different aspects. Industries beyond the finance, especially in digital identity, here is, is where the thinking 
is happening. A great uh, example that comes to mind is with Procevis. We're talking about Trustware. We haven't talked about that. This is a hub in Zurich that is a physical, if you want, building where a lot of startups have been housed, but it's also an ecosystem with events and people collaborating and working on projects from insurance to digital identity, liquidity management, legal applications. We have think tanks that are focused in this area. So it it really goes beyond the cryptocurrency trading, even though we shouldn't undermine that, Switzerland is the home of two fully licensed, regulated crypto banks, but I would call them neobanks in the true sense. And I'm talking about Seba Bank and Signum. We have some nice use cases based around real estate, also energy. There is a company that does invoicing based on blockchain and energy production in residential homes. I think the nicest innovations I've seen lately is Liquity, the stablecoin that has been turned on, I think it was in April, on the Ethereum blockchain. It is the first time someone has built a governance-less stablecoin that actually works. So there is no human intervention required to keep the stablecoin stable. I found that really nice and I'm using it. (laughs) Definity is also a very nice project that we have in, in Switzerland. They try to create a blockchain around the web infrastructure. Polkadot and Cosmos have moved to Berlin, but but there is still a lot of development that is done in these ecosystems as well in Switzerland. There are many different use cases uh, when it comes to the trade. You have very very active financial scene in, in Switzerland, uh, projects like Congo when it comes to community. You have FQX, for example, which is a blockchain and cloud-based supply chain financing platform for, for electronic promissory notes. On the supply chain dimension, you also have some interesting projects there, some uh, actually spearheaded by international organizations like Unicy, for example, is working on an interesting cotton project to track cotton along the entire supply chain. But you have other companies like Ambrosis, for example, or Luxochain that uses it. It's a Swiss company based in Lugano that uses blockchain to uh, develop solutions for luxury products, counterfeiting. Or, or Spider, uh, which is based both in, in Zurich and Germany, that uses blockchain for raw material supply chain. And this is one area, clearly, supply chain traceability, where blockchain can bring a lot. So I'm very happy to see that Switzerland is the home of a number of very interesting projects in that sphere. I think that blockchain, Marshall said, DLT, is truly a technology that has a huge potential for international trade, be it to enhance the transparency of um, supply chains, so on how goods are being produced, or to help with digitization of trade documents. Uh, one of the big problems when it comes to the digitization of trade documents until now has been the double spending problem, and blockchain solves this. And in terms of digitalization of trade processes, like trade finance, or to facilitate customs procedures, for example, customs clearance, trade officials and and regulators have a key role to play in that respect to put in place an enabling regulatory framework. So think of legislation, regulation, not only as a way to mitigate risk, but also as an enabler. 
what we're trying to do at the WTO is to support the move towards paperless trade and the, the further deployment of a technology like blockchain where we can, meaning in terms of the legislative regulatory framework, uh, because the WTO is a rules-based organization. But I've been doing also a lot of work in terms of educating trade officials, because one thing that I realized is that a few years back, for many people with whom I was working, blockchain was only Bitcoin and nothing more. Much more work is actually needed in order to to raise awareness and make uh, trade officials move in sync with what's happening on the private sector side. We also did a survey of those stakeholders involved in trade and, and trade finance projects as to what they saw as the biggest challenges in their application of blockchain. And we were very surprised to see that legal challenges came as number one. The absence of legal recognition of e-signatures or the inability to transfer electronic transferable records. More work is needed, and this is where the WTO can actually help. Blockchain wird nicht die Welt retten. And there's more. In the next segment, you'll hear about the origin stories of some of the best-known blockchain businesses in Switzerland today. Starting with Roland and Swisscom Blockchain, Paul at Definity, Sina Meyer from 21 Shares, Ralph and CVVC, Jan Breschek at Crypto Finance, and Olga Feldmeyer from Smart Valor. I worked now for quite some years at Swisscom, so the number one telco carrier in Switzerland. We do have quite a large unit that is taking care of banking outsourcing. And that's also the reason why Swisscom was tapping into blockchain and distributed ledger technology for quite a while now. So we started out in 2015, taking care of ICO, tokenization. We also built an academy for that one. It was like skyrocketing during these days, so in 2016 and 17. We have to say that Swisscom also had a clear vision uh, since these days for uh, building an ecosystem for digital assets to issue, store and trade digital values, whether that's real estate or a, or a share. And we started out with two proof of concepts. So one proof of concept, which became the Aura today, is like a digital platform that allows you to tokenize your shares. So basically you have a share registry that you can use. You can do a capital increase on it and even today, as the pandemic uh, hit our economy, which I think is important, they also offer uh, the possibility to hold the virtual general assembly and the voting results will be stored on the blockchain. The other initiative was uh, cost digit, so that's to store, to really have a vault for your uh, asset tokens, whether that's coins or shares. They partnered, so we partnered with uh, Metaco, another Swiss crypto startup and put like Silo as the underlining in that solution and just building on top services for regulated financial institutions. We, we partnered with Signum Bank as a pilot bank to really um, use these services. At the beginning, in the early days, we partnered with Deutsche Börse to really try out um, how we could settle these trades. So we had a really interesting proof of concept going on with Swisscom, Deutsche Börse and three Swiss banks. Basically, we did a settlement involving a share issued by Daura, and we settled this against a Swiss franc coin issued on R3 quarter. 
we are the first ones to build a decentralized network in Switzerland, a shared network by Swisscom and Post. It's running in data centers from Swisscom Banking and Post Finance. So we have quite a high trust network that we can put on uh, use cases that have a special need of privacy, special need of where the data is stored, or a, a special need for uh, trusted partners. So just to give you one example of what we're doing, we just installed a new service that is called Electronic Seal. This basically allows you to issue a document, then store the hash, the hash value on our chain and have a third party later on verifying uh, the authenticity and the issuer of such a document. So just imagine the first customer is, is Adresta, so a platform for uh, luxury watches for the future, one a nice initiative we do is what we call Greencoin. It's already uh, in a state for a proof of concept now, and we're really trying to, to scale now. So involving uh, Swisscom and other companies, or at least the employees, it's a stable coin, so it's packed to the Swiss franc, and it's earmarked, uh, meaning that you can only buy sustainable products and services with this Greencoin. Just last year, we actually got into the Forbes top 50 blockchain for the first time and only as one of two telcos worldwide. I think that was really my, a big milestone for Swisscom. My first reaction was when I learned about Affinity at the end of last year, this must be the best kept secret of Switzerland. Affinity started, meanwhile, more than four years ago, then quietly, in so to speak, went away and did three years of hard work. It managed to get the world's best mathematicians, computer science, cryptographers together, both in the Zurich and in, as, as well as in the Palo Alto San Francisco office, and to basically, in a way, rebuild the internet by building a protocol and infrastructure that we call the internet computer. And it allows a new way of developers bringing applications online in a much faster, easier, and cost-efficient way also allows users to participate, not being dependent on a handful of large big tech players. And lastly, it brings it all together by an ecosystem whereby various participants, also those who want to invest building pieces of that decentralized infrastructure can take part. And what the whole ecosystem is fueled by is what we call the ICP, the Internet Computer Protocol, ICP is also the abbreviation of the utility coin that Definity has launched in May. 21 Shares is a Swiss product issuer, I have to say, who uh, touched this year the 2 billion asset on the management. And we make investing in crypto assets as easy as buying shares by using your existing bank or broker. Um, the company has been uh, founded in 2018 in Zug, Switzerland, and since then, the company has launched several world firsts, including the first listed crypto basket index HODL ETP. All listed are our exchange products. They're all listed at the traditional exchanges and are 100% physically backed, segregated, and allow retail and institutional investors to be part of the best performing asset class. We have at the moment 15 different solutions. We have the largest product suit worldwide with single trackers, baskets, as well as the only one Bitcoin short ETP, 
we saw significant inflows from institutional investors at 21 shares. To give you some solid facts and figures, we had in March 2020, 30 million asset on the management. Then in December 2020, 200 million and touched the 2 billion mark just a few months later. In 2009, in the year of the Bitcoin white paper, I opened our first company here in Zug called Inacta. And in 2013, we started a business center called Lakeside Business Center in Zug. Then we had, after a short time, knocking a lot of crypto companies on the doors and asking where this crypto valley is. And then we decided to create out of the Lakeside Business Center a part which we called Lakeside Crypto Lab. And this Lakeside Crypto Lab was the pre-company before we got Crypto Valley Labs, which is a daughter company of Crypto Valley Venture Capital. And the CVVC has the target to invest in a broad number of startups in the blockchain space and create a digital asset financial products. And then there's a third area, it's company building where we create companies in that space by ourselves. One of those is Innerpay. It's a payment service provider in the blockchain space. Another one is TokenGate. It's a tokenization platform. Gen2, it's a securitization platform. So we are in a very broad way involved. And on the other side, we founded the Crypto Valley Labs, our ecosystem, where we bring together startups, corporates, investors, government, university, and have them together. And it's a little bit like we own the soccer field and with owning the soccer field, the Crypto Valley Labs, we see the good players playing on the soccer field and we either invest in these players or we take the players into our companies or we look for other corporations in that area. We started off in Zug and we have one in Liechtenstein, Badutz, and the last one we opened in Dubai, in the Middle East. My goal was always to bridging this old and new world. So we're applying the best practice of the old world and bring it to this new asset class. We have basically three business lines. One is asset management, where we manage funds, which enable traditional investors to invest in this new space. Then we have the whole trading execution desk, where we are connected to several exchanges and OTC desks and market makers that we can guarantee the client that he gets the best price for his size he's looking for, or that we can trade or VWAP over a certain time period that he can accumulate coins without the big market impact. And then the third business line is infrastructure, because when we talked to the banks and they said, hey, we would love to do become your custodian for the fund, but how does it work? Do you bring the Bitcoins with a money transporter, so a physical car? I realized that they are a little bit still far away from understanding the space. So we built the infrastructure. It's a digital safe where we're not the custodian, but we're just building the safe in the basement of the banks. So we run then the infrastructure for them, but we don't have access to the vault, which is provided for them and rerun it for them if they want. With that, we can enable banks to enable then their clients to invest in these new asset clause. And I mean, at the beginning, it's just about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. But in the future, every bank, in my opinion, will probably own such a digital vault 
every asset and not just the bankable assets have, as we have them now, but all other valuable stuff can be tokenized and can be digitized and then can be stored by a provider or by a client. And who might be the best provider for such a solution besides a bank? Banks still have the trust of the clients to safe keep your wealth. Either it's, it's cash or it's your portfolio or like your jewelry, you put it in a vault in the bank's basement. But if those all those things become digitized and tokenized, then a bank needs to be able to store them. And this is as well a massive, massive business opportunity for the banks because right now they can only cover bankable assets and they only know a fraction of the client's wealth. But imagine if you put now all the real estate, your old time collection, your art, different assets you have in your company onto the blockchain and then you have tokens which represents a digital ownership the bank can store it for you the bank has a much better holistic view of your wealth this will enable the bank especially the private banks to give you much better insights much better view on your financial situation than they could currently do i believe that with tokenization we will be able to customize client investments much more based on their beliefs, on their values, that if someone says, okay, I want to just invest in ESG or yeah, I want to invest in COVID vaccine now, right now, this is very difficult. In the future, I believe you can much more tailor-made investment products and investments than you could currently do because just you will see this explosion of investable assets. Blockchain va pas sauvegarder le monde. Bonus round. Just when you thought we couldn't cram in any more blockchain use case content, it wouldn't be right to do a show on Switzerland and not cover the topic of luxury, and in particular, luxury watches. We're lucky to have Pedro Lopez Belmonte, blockchain lead at Richemont, and Leonie Flukiger, co-founder at Adresta. We started by analyzing the, the different areas where we thought that blockchain could bring uh, value. And we identified watches and specifically business to consumer use case as probably the best in terms of time to market, in terms of value confirmation. Luxury watches are a special kind of thing. It's kind of a niche object, which has a part of connoisseurs that enjoys the different brands and the different models and so on. And it's also a, obviously a, a status thing and specifically an object that is usually part of a personal story. It has a, a heavy emotional component. Probably the biggest problem that all uh, luxury watches brands are going through is counterfeiting. We have also a great market and other elements. But I think it was last year where the number of counterfeited watches in general surpassed the number of legit watches manufactured. With blockchain, we thought we could find a good solution. Eventually, what we have is a digital representation of the watch stored in a blockchain, which is incorruptible, transparent, you cannot tamper with. And, and if you tamper it, you can detect it very easily. We have validated it. We have a public well-known use case with our brand, Vacheron Constantin, issuing digital certificate for watches with our partner, Ariane. Some people listening might think, uh, yeah, okay, but if I buy a watch and then there was a digital asset uh, linked to it that has not been passed to me, that's a problem. 
what do we have today? We have a physical certificate of authenticity attached to each watch, and not in all cases. These paper-based certificates or cardboard or whatever it is, I would say in 99%, if not 100 of cases, it's easily tamperable. And maybe it's not my watch. How can I prove or this other person check that if it's mine legitimately or not? With a digital certificate, we have an asset which states that a given serial number was created at some point and was given to one person as the result of a purchase. Even if they are not linked, this is permanent information that we know that has not been tampered with and that can be checked at any point in the future. Second, I can prove, therefore, the identity of the owner. If the person presenting to me the, the asset is the owner or not, or as an owner, I can prove myself as the rightful owner of the asset. And we can also check which entity has issued this certificate, which it should be the brand that has produced the watch. I think it's really interesting that the industry is open to the technology. They understand it quite well. So I had the chance to do um, five use cases with different watch manufacturers already using blockchain technologies. Um, they understand the implications of, let's say, again, the digital physical link quite well. They understand for what they're using the technology. Five years ago, there has been a lot of buzz, but five years later, the industry learned a lot because it really makes sense for the watch industry. It's high value. Products are high value. We already have physical documents. So imagine just storing them digitally would add another security level. And we have that growing secondary market. So the watch industry fits the problem set very well for blockchain. They invested a lot of time um, researching and there have been some first use cases already. So they are very open, especially after COVID. They feel also that they must start digitalizing internally and blockchain for me that's really motivating so blockchain is really the driving force for the industry to start the digital transformation we at adresta work together with what manufacturers and retailers and we help them to track the product life cycle this also means that we help their customers so the watch owner to get proof of ownership proof of authenticity and also insights into the provenance. So has a watch been serviced? Where has it been produced and sold? We use blockchain technology to solve that trust issue. We do this by creating a digital twin for every produced watch. And this digital twin is then enriched with all these stations. So imagine a service or even a secondhand sale where you can transfer the twin to the new owner. And what is really interesting is that we started with an NFT. So there is a lot going on with NFTs in luxury. That is when we realized that it is not the, the technology or how we do it. It's not about the underlying protocol. It is really about the business value we add to our product. Starting with an NFT, we realized that the market still faces some challenges. So end customers need a wallet. They need their own tokens to maybe transfer um, the NFT they own. Um, our customers, so the watch producers, they themselves might need some cryptocurrency. And we need a lot of understanding about how NFTs work. So imagine I sell 1,000 watches today. 
and only 10% of the watch owners claim the token, the NFT. And then 10 years later, if they sell their watches, again, only 10% transfers the token. We lose the whole purpose of representing ownership. So what we did is we took a step back. We realized that for now, it is too complicated to work with NFTs to get really that habit to create the demand that we need. And we started with just sealing documents, sealing PDFs. Everyone understands how to work with PDFs and just focus on the customer experience. And then the the second learning we had is all about how can we securely create that digital twin? We had so many learnings. So just imagine if, yes, the watch is represented on the blockchain, maybe even with a chip. But what if you exchange some parts inside the watch? How can the technology notice that? Or what if the digital twin represents the authentic watch exactly, but I sell a copy of the physical watch with the authentic digital twin? We did a lot of research within the industry to understand how they solve these issues of the digital physical twin. And that is really what we must focus now Blockchain is a nice technology. It's the right technology, can solve some trust issues, but we should never forget about that missing link and really focus on the business value. I think we are in the process of moving from this nation technology to something that is broadly adopted and accepted for the different players. I think the technology has proven its value and now it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, how and, and what. Clearly, Vachon Constantin has been a pioneer. It was the first project that took off. Some other companies have followed, has joined Ariane. There are, of course, other projects. Uh, the most relevant so far is Oga, which uh, they announced officially in the second half of April. Rismond is also a member of Oga, founding member of Oga with our brand Cartier. I think it's a big statement for all the players because if the big players are already working on it and and they have acknowledged the value that the technology brings, it's a matter of time just for the smaller players or the players that are a bit behind now to join and to start building solutions on blockchain. In another three years, we will see most of the companies using blockchain for, for different things. Blockchain wird die Welt nicht retten. Switzerland already has decentralization in its DNA, in the way the country is divided and governed in independent cantons. And there's some degree of specialization in the blockchain focus areas depending on where you look. Roland, Micha and Emmanuel help to explain the diverse patchwork that is blockchain in Switzerland. Switzerland is a small country, so it's famous for chocolate and cheese and, and watches. That's probably what all what, what the people know, but it's also really famous for deep tech. We have Bern, that's the capital. And we have Zurich, the biggest city in Switzerland. It's big for uh, banking. Geneva in the western parts, the French-speaking part of Switzerland. It's also good in private banking and it's a hotpot for all the international organizations. Not far away, Lausanne is, uh, is uh, where, where the EPFL, so one of the academic institutions, is. There is uh, Nestle is there, a big international company. 
Then we have Basel, so that's uh, north. That's in the triangle of Germany, France, and of course, Switzerland. There's a little bit of banking, but of course, it's huge when it comes to uh, pharma. So we do have Novartis and Roche in Basel. Bern, of course, is politics. And, uh, and then comes the south. So the south is Ticino. That's uh, close to the border of Italy. There is Lugano. In Lugano, we see some action as well. There's an initiative called Lugano Living Lab. There's also an, uh, a university called SUPSI. We do have another hotspot for tourism, the Canton Graubünden. Yeah, it's a small country, but uh, I think it's amazing actually to have so many initiatives containing blockchain, sometimes IoT, artificial intelligence, with so many different verticals in Switzerland. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. The community in Geneva is smaller than the community in Zurich, and it tends to be focused on a bit on the NGO field because the UN has a big influence in Geneva. It is also mostly around fintech and well, financial services because this is the easiest way to use blockchain. It's the one use case that everyone understands locking up value and doing stuff with value-bearing tokens. But the Geneva community is also involved in more humanitarian. So a friend of mine, Robert, he's a contributor to the Regen Network, which does great work in tokenizing regenerative agriculture, for example, which is a new use case. And I like that we are beginning to move to using the proof side of blockchain and not only the value exchange functionality. So, I mean, my focus is mainly international trade. I see startups active in international trade and trade finance in different cities. What I would see as the biggest difference is the fact that a city like Geneva, which is the one I'm most familiar with because the WTO is based in Geneva, is in a unique position because it is the home of a number of international organizations. So not only do you have very active scene on blockchain on the private sector side with companies like Congo or Louis Drift's company being active, so very active ecosystem, but also international organizations like ISO, ITU that are working on blockchain standards. You have UNCFACT, which is very active as well, digital standards in the area of trade. WTO, of course, working on, on trade issues, and we've been trying to work on these issues and to push blockchain for, for international trade and trade finance and make people understand that blockchain is more than cryptocurrencies. But you have in Geneva a number of projects and international organizations leveraging blockchain from an enterprise perspective or for, for enterprises, not for crypto projects. And I think here, Geneva is uniquely positioned to leverage what's being done, not only, as I said, on the private sector side, but also within these international organizations which to a certain extent still work in silo and try to coordinate action and really support the deployment of the technology in a coordinated manner, building on all the skills that you have, the, the regulators and the private sector. Blockchain wird die Welt nicht retten. The quality of Switzerland's academic institutions has already been mentioned as a key to its success in innovation and emerging tech. We hear some fascinating stories about how Swiss universities are approaching the challenge of blockchain education from Jan, Fabian and Lyudmila Zavolkina from the University of Zurich. On the tech tech side, 
you obviously have ETH and EPFL, where you have very strong mathematics and uh, decentralized systems and so on, courses and really very good professors. But if we more look on the business side, you have different universities which cover more and more blockchain as well and cryptocurrencies. So the space is not just about developers, but it is as well about marketing, finance, legal, and so on. And I think there, Switzerland, the universities, and as well then the applied sciences and later stage education programs are more and more including this new technology and offering that as specific seminars just about blockchain and crypto. I think with academia, it's always twofold, right? It's, uh, of course, research, fundamental research, but also more applied research and, of course, teaching. There has been a lack of talent, I mean, especially with the early boom. So many different companies in the accelerator spaces here in Switzerland have been looking for talents. And I think what's been a really important job of the universities to come up with educational programs, to come up with new courses and to develop that talent. And then, of course, research-wise, I mean, when you have a new topic, then you're immediately at the research frontier, which is really exciting. Usually when we're doing something in academia, then you're, you're creating the extension of the extension of the extension of a model. And here, everything is open, right? Everything is new and everything is exciting. And also, it's more immediately applicable to applied projects when you're developing something. So, for example, when you look into a new decentralized finance protocol, then this may immediately be applied in practice. Research-wise, I've recently published a DeFi paper with the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Got quite some recognition. It's an introductory paper. And we're currently working on various research projects. We're essentially looking at what we call wrapping complexity, token wrapping complexity. That's the idea. Then, when you have a, when you replicate a financial system on the blockchain in an open way, and then you have this interoperability where people start creating tokens on top of tokens on top of tokens on top of tokens that there is some inherent risk in there and we've proposed this measurement how we can quantify this risk so essentially when you're buying a token when you're buying a specific asset then you may have more risk in there from all the previous tokens than you would expect when you just look at it teaching wise we have various classes i think in total at the university of Basel, we have six blockchain classes it started with an introductory one where we really look into the basics of uh, cryptography, of computer science and economics. Uh, so, for example, elliptic curve math, so that the students understand what's, what's actually going on under the hood. And then some more applied classes like the blockchain challenge, for example, which can be best described as an extended hackathon. The students get some questions from companies and then they have a semester to work on these concepts to, to develop something and uh, present it in front of a large crowd. And what's special about our courses at the University of Basel is that we have decided uh, to open them up to the public. So we have this Open Crypto Lectures initiative where all of the courses that we are developing, all of the courses that we are offering will be made available to the general public. And it's, it's quite exciting. For example, for the first one we have published in that way, we already have almost 2,000 students from all around the world signed up. So really from, from very different, very diverse geographic areas and also areas that would otherwise probably not have access to a blockchain education. 
I think when you're when you're talking about blockchain, I mean, <laughs> you always are in this domain of, of um, open source of the idea that everything belongs to the community, right? At least for the public ledgers. And then it's it's somewhat awkward to talk about these topics, uh, but have the course locked behind closed doors. So we really we are convinced that public ledger, public blockchain education should be available to everyone, right? And that was the entire idea. Uh, so we decided to go with this completely open approach where all of the material, uh, even the source code for the LaTeX slides, so we developed these slides in a programming language, is publicly available on an open source GitHub repo. And also the videos, they are available on multiple platforms, including YouTube. So just that uh, as many people as possible have access to it. And I think what is amazing is, uh, of course, we have a lot of students from Switzerland and uh, from the US and from Germany and Great Britain. But in fact, uh, the country of the second most participants in our course is Nigeria. <laughs> we, would have, we would have never expected that. But for some reason, people got really inspired by the course there. And uh, now a lot of Nigerian people are taking this class, which is super exciting. I mean, that's not something you would expect for a course from the University of Basel, right? Probably I should start with the University of Zurich where I'm uh, employed at at the moment, since we're having now since 2018, the blockchain center of the university with the goal to cover different perspectives on blockchain and to build an interdisciplinary research center, meaning that we're not only into computer science, but we will preach different disciplines like computer science, but also business and economics and law. There we focus on different aspects. It is research, but not only research, it's also education. So for example, this year, this summer, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, we organized the Blockchain Summer School, where we had something like more than 80 participants from different countries, also offering scholarships for participating in the summer school and bringing different people together and different competencies together. So education is a very important part there, educating students in different aspects of blockchain. So again, it's not only computer science or only technology, but it's also application side and building blockchain related business models and understanding the laws and understanding the regulatory perspective on that. So research, education, the third part is about collaborations between academia and industry, building a strong network and being able to bring the topic of blockchain forward together in collaboration. So we're not the only ones for sure. Uh, in general, Switzerland is very strong um, in academia and with very strong universities, technical universities universities of applied sciences. So in this sense, it's here in Zurich ETH, it's FFL in Lausanne, uh, also the Technical University of, of Lausanne, University of Lausanne, and then universities of applied sciences in Luzern, also in Bern. So it's, it's very diverse. And I really enjoy seeing that academia is also very active in this space covering also different topics. So it's not, again, only about technology and only about one specific aspect, like security or scalability. It's, it's very diverse. Blockchain is mir. So what about the talent landscape in Switzerland and how some of the top blockchain businesses are trying to source increasingly scarce resources? We hear from Fabian, Lucas, Olga, and Ralph on the benefits and struggles of attracting and developing blockchain talent in Switzerland. 
It's a great mixture of some fundamental theoretical courses, uh, various universities here in Switzerland. And then, of course, it's always good when you're close to various companies, right? And in Switzerland, there is quite the ecosystem, a lot of different companies, which provide some insights and also some opportunities. For example, some of my students, they take a break from the studies and, and go for an internship with some of these companies. And then they gain some experience, some work experience, some practical experience. And after a while, they come back to complete their studies. And I think that's super exciting. It's a great combination. And I think the biggest strength here in Switzerland is it's not just one university. I mean, there are several universities that are offering these programs, usually from quite different perspectives. As I said, here in Basel, we have the public blockchain approach, and then there are other universities that go more in a permissioned blockchain. And of course, the math and the fundamentals, they don't necessarily change, but uh, as always, there are different aspects of technology, and you might get a slightly different framing depending on where you're studying. I'm very convinced that we have great technologists here, especially with a strong Bitcoin community, like very deep technical education on those. You don't need to have them sitting in your office, in my opinion. So that doesn't really matter if they're in Switzerland or not. For the founders, the Swiss mentality is more towards security and safety. So it's a bit the opposite of what a startup founder is in general. You need to take risks. And the opportunity cost in Switzerland is very high since the salaries in Switzerland are super high. If you start a company and you don't pay yourself a salary or you pay yourself less than what you usually get on the market, the opportunity cost is very high. It doesn't matter what your position was before. So these two problems like lead to, it might be less attractive for Swiss people to found a company. What is definitely interesting, I mean, you can found a company in Switzerland without having to be in Switzerland. Many people do it here can have your company registered here. You have the legal framework of Switzerland, the brand of Switzerland who helps in certain cases, and you don't need to be based in Switzerland. It's actually an amazing country for making it a hub for your most creative or most innovative tech team, because there are just a lot of highly qualified, talented people. That, of course, you know, on the backdrop of amazing quality of life, Switzerland, one of the top countries in, in terms of quality of life. Companies like Google, they host their headquarters here because it's easier to attract those best people to live in the best place. But this is of little help for startups or early stage companies because the funding is so tight. You cannot compete and pay the salaries. Not that it's expected. It's not possible even to live in this country for little salary. Everything is expensive. So you have to be paid well. So that means for early stage companies, it's very, very difficult to have really big team here. And the same happened to us, you know, initially we had quite a big team here, but now over time we started to shift parts of our business. So customer support and, and operations to Bulgaria and, and some other parts of Central and Eastern Europe. Because look, you're competing globally. You're competing with, with Binance, with, with Chinese guys. Like if you hire all the bankers here in Switzerland, like it's, it gets so expensive, your product will be completely out of competition. So that's kind of like the challenging part. And of course, you know, getting other people from non-European countries to work here is not so simple. So we couldn't, we, we struggled. We applied for a couple of people to come and work here for us and we got basically declined and had to do it from other country. <laughs> so it's 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 not easy, right? It's actually, this is one of the contrasts, actually, I would say, you know, for starting your startup out of Switzerland. 
attracting people from the whole European area is quite easy. What is limiting our growth in Switzerland is for non-EU residents, it's not so easy to move here because we have a limitation on resource on that side. This is a little bit challenging for us in the startup world because we can't move everyone. We opened up a CV Labs in Dubai and our strategy right now is to hire international people. We are not able to move to Switzerland to move to Dubai. And uh, Dubai is also growing very fast as a crypto hub in the moment. Blockchain wird die Welt nicht retten. You should know by now that this show is trying its best to champion diversity within the blockchain community. We hear different perspectives on diversity in the Swiss blockchain scene from Luca, Lyudmila, Leoni, Sina and Olga. If you go to events in Switzerland, especially the ones that are more technical, you will always see more men than women. It's just that more men work in technology than women, obviously. Same for finance, if you have more men than women. So this is a, like an overlap between finance and technology in crypto, blockchain. If you talk about tokenization and brokerage and banks providing custody solution, and then of course, the, the legal part of everything, there you have a, a less imbalance. There are a couple of initiatives for involving women into blockchain space. So that's something that really exists. So for example, here in Zurich, there is also a blockchain hub called Square, and they have some, some events for women in blockchain. So it's not like women in blockchain are very active, but at least there is something. I still believe we can do more for that. And it's also important to create diverse community. It's Probably not that unique for blockchain space, I would say. Being just a woman in IT is something that is, you know, similar to being a woman in blockchain, I would say. What I observed is that in tech in general, we still have that issue of not having represented a lot of women, but I have a mechanical engineering background and there it's already only 10% female. And so it starts with education. What I realized then is that in blockchain, I actually also talk a lot to female founders or entrepreneurs, and I feel like blockchain is a topic you don't learn at university. When I started at ETH, there has been non-courses about that topic. So it's really a self-taught topic, and there everyone can start again, start over, and you don't need a background from some university. It's just, I feel like a lot of also female entrepreneurs are interested in new possibilities. For myself, I was uh, maybe lucky, but I believe it takes courage to try something else and to be open for a new challenge. If I have a wish to take a step forward in fintech, I would advise people that network a lot, have no fear for about the unknown, stop overthinking, will I be good enough and all this kind of stuff? Because today, nobody stays the whole life at the same job. Stay curious, you know, learn and read about a lot of stuff, network and exchange ideas. I'm also a mentor of the DLT Talents Program in cooperation with the Frankfurt School of Blockchain Center. And my goal is clearly to support women education, to boost growth of female business and open the floor to, in brackets, new women in blockchain and cryptos. And also, you know, this is a very, very young industry. I hate when people tell me that I'm an expert in this industry because 
I started in January 2020. How can I be an expert today? So be open for this new industry. There are several people from this DLT Talents program, women, which contacted me and asked me, just like to be, you know, connected with the networks. And I see sometimes now, it's very interesting on LinkedIn, that those women, they got hired from very amazing companies and associations, and they got really great jobs. My experience was just amazing because, well, it's super easy to get to speak in public. You're invited to the public speeches. You're invited to talk to press. Like you're something special, right? Because there are no others. I think the, <laughs> the good example was, when was it? 2019. So Bilance, you know, is a Swiss quite influential magazine. They publish every year the list of top 100 influencers in digitalization, in tech. And back in 2017, they added me to this list. And then back in 2019, again, for the second time. And even they had a subsection called blockchainers. And there, of course, it was nine guys and me, right? So I was the only woman. But, but you see, this is kind of like, I see it as advantage. Because if I ring the doorbell, like everybody is surprised. Oh, like, is that lady, like really founder tech company? And they're curious, right? And when they're curious, they're more likely to open the door and to listen to me. So I've been tremendously grateful for all the attention and for all the open doors that I saw here. And I see absolutely no disadvantage of being a female founder. Plus, add to this, blockchain is actually the technology for equality, right? It's decentralized technology. Bitcoin doesn't care if you're like South African, you're gay, like doesn't care about politics, doesn't care. It's code. Code just runs. So per default, this technology stands actually for equality. And also you could see that it doesn't matter who you are, like from where you come. If you have a great idea, you're working hard, you maybe have a little bit luck being on the right time with the right stuff. People will follow. You will have a success. Just get to the people something they need that is useful, that works. And nobody will question your sex or how you look or where you're from. I can 100% say this also to all the female listeners. Don't be afraid. Be bold. Go for it. There are more advantages to be a woman than there are disadvantages in this industry. Blockchain wird die Welt nicht retten. And finally, in a country that has achieved so much and advanced the cause of blockchain, digital assets and cryptocurrencies, what more is required to see further adoption and scaling of this technology in the near future? We get some diverse and insightful perspectives from Emmanuel, Mika, Paul, Ralph and Shiraz. Much of the focus has been on crypto, and I think it's important for people to realize that legislation is also important for the deployment of enterprise blockchain, uh, this legal certainty. Switzerland could have a leading role in trade digitalization and trade finance because it's home to many corporate headquarters and it's a financial hub. I think we could leverage the fact that you have in Switzerland and in Geneva in particular, many different stakeholders, including international organizations, to try and have more coordination on these issues. I've been saying since my 2018 book, Can Blockchain Revolutionize International Trade, that we need a global dialogue on these issues uh, to be able to move forward in a coordinated manner and avoid the silos that currently exist. We still have a digital island problem, which is 
particularly critical when it comes to international trade, because an international trade transaction necessarily touches upon several ledgers. You will have trade finance, you have the customs ledger, you will have the transportation logistics. Switzerland and Geneva in particular has the different actors in those different fields in a small area and has the potential to bring all of them around the table and to make sure that we really have an end-to-end view of these issues, an end-to-end approach to build that enabling regulatory environment that I was mentioning a little bit earlier. I think the missing link between blockchain and the general public is digital identities. There is one thing that always kind of annoys me is that people tend to take open technology and open systems and they want to keep the control. So they build in the open, but keeping the control over everything. We see that with identity systems as well. It is really hard, apparently, for governance and organization to just let go and create a real self-sovereign identity. But I think having a self-sovereign identity and an identity system that is endorsed by the state so that I can, well, in Switzerland, we have this Swiss ID scheme that I can have actually my identity on a chip and I have a certificate linking this certificate with a self-sovereign identity, I think is the missing link because this would give you legally bindable signatures in the blockchain. And you would be able to sign contracts on chain. You would be able to enter any kind of relationship, any kind of commercial or human interaction would be possible in a trustworthy way. And the identity part is also what keeps central bank digital currencies back. Because one of the fears is that we'd have this blockchain money with anonymous users and the regulator doesn't understand the money laundering implications of it and hence they are afraid of setting it loose. But with a decent digital identity system, I could prove that I am a Swiss national, for example, without saying who I am and hence be authorized to use some central bank digital currency and proving that I am the economic beneficiary that if the police comes knocking at my door, I can prove them who I am and what I did, and that what I did was legitimate. The most critical success factor, in my view, is that people and entrepreneurs focus on what society really needs. If someone wants to develop a new app to deliver pizza faster, or have my kids even get more addicted to computer games, and that's my personal view, that's not really what can get me up in the morning. So practically in the context of blockchain, I'm pleased to see that more recently people are rethinking the usage of energy, not just that mining is a big consumer of energy. Second thing is a bit more in my home area, accounting and taxation rules. Amongst different solutions, often a lot of people end up holding certain type of currency or cryptocurrency or token, and that both for private individuals, businesses, has increasingly been a challenge. These assets are quite volatile and the way accounting rules or taxation authorities have dealt with that is not always appropriate to uh, this new type of asset. So I think that's a second quite important thing 
uh, as I was alluding before, one of the success factors of Switzerland being a very good collaboration between private business and, and authorities. This is an area where it's quite important that whether it's financial market supervisors like FINMA here or tax authorities, that they take their time to really understand why and how certain things, in this case, a asset, is perhaps a bit different from your classical assets, equity, securities, bonds, fixed income, and therefore are prepared to work with businesses and holders of such currency to make sure accounting and taxation rules are purposeful and are useful. And we've seen that at Definity, just like many other companies, if you have some type of token, in some cases, you may also have an employee participation program via which part of the compensation comes via the company's own, own token. That is somewhat similar, but not the same as a classical share participation plan. So our accounting and taxation world needs to adjust to that a little bit. And finally, I'm a strong believer that it's, it's probably my children or the next generation that will have to determine if we reach a breakthrough. And with that, I think education and reducing anxiety remains a key success factor. I'm always a big admirer of uh, people, I think like Dominic Williams, the founder of Definity, who are able to explain things both to very technical savvy people as well as to the broad audience to leave the enthusiasm for something that's innovative, but reduce the hurdle and the anxiety when something looks scary. And sometimes when you hear stories about people losing their private keys or their seat phrase, that is what creates anxiety. And therefore, I think explaining, educating, and with that also changing people's behavior so these mishaps can be avoided, that I think is a, a third area in, in my view that will help us to keep moving forward. If you look in an ecosystem, you usually have three different pillars you have to fill. One pillar is the infrastructure, and there's physical infrastructure and the regulatory infrastructure. And both of those pillars is very good in Switzerland. The second thing is capital, capital raising, change in the blockchain space. We have seen the ICO craziness. We have seen the DeFi craziness now and uh, all the venture capital companies coming into that space. And the third part is the talent. You need the best people around that. Where the biggest limitation in Switzerland is at the moment is on the talent side and on the scale capital side. Early stage, it's not a problem to get the money in Switzerland, but if you really want to scale to get to, to the next level, what we have seen in the US with Coinbase, we are not there yet in Switzerland and most likely not in Europe at all. So we have to still learn from the US how to really think big and really scale high. A very good example for Switzerland is Bitcoin Swiss. I mean, Bitcoin Swiss is around since 2013. I think they have 250 people now and they are doing very well. But if you compare the growth of Bitcoin Swiss with uh, Binance or Kraken, then it's still not the same performance than we see on that companies. There's something else as well. And this is in Switzerland, when you do business, you do it proper. 
you do a full KYC AML, you can't move so easily in the gray area like in other countries. I compared now to Binance or Huobi, which are probably growing very fast because of skipping some of these levels. I do really like the term that Andy Warhol coined where they always say time changes things, but you actually have to change them yourself. So uh, I think further from time, it's actually perseverance. In Switzerland, we, we really have everything we need. We have great people, smart people. The money as well is here. There's the ability to fund companies. Innovation is prominent. I think it's just a matter of keeping that perseverance and really continuing to believe. Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel also called Blockchain Won't Save the World. Stay safe out there. Do you now with that officially agree to be my first guest on my podcast?